0: I want to invite you to turn to the book of Galatians this morning, New Testament book of Galatians. If you're in the the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 972, 972. You know, I think we're in Galatians. We're beginning the study of a book this morning that has had a tremendous impact Upon the course of the church, the bigger church, over the past several hundred years, the, the, the book of Galatians, I believe, has probably more than any other been at the heart of sparking this complete change in the direction of the church that took place about 500 years ago. You know what I'm talking about, the Protestant Reformation. And if you know anything about that time then you'll know that it came about, the Reformation came about, largely because the church at that time, which was the the Roman Catholic Church, but it was the church back in the 1500s, stopped teaching the true gospel. And it was teaching another gospel. It was teaching that a, a person is accepted by God and received into His kingdom on the basis of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and something else. Faith plus something else. It's, it's trust in Jesus and trust in what He has done for you plus other things together and you will be saved. One of the, the, the well, the main voice during that time was Martin Luther, who was a priest and a teacher. And he came to see the error in that teaching. He said, that's not what Scripture teaches. And so he, he attacked it urgent, with, with urgency. And, and the result of that, both Martin Luther and many others, was the reformation of the church. The church took a turn. Actually, it was a turn back to the right direction. So that today, the church looks very different from it did from the way that it did back then. And, and based on the direction that it was headed, we can thank the Lord, and we do thank the Lord for that. Now, it was the letter to the Galatians that was especially... There were other writings as well. Romans was part of it. There were others. But especially this book to the Galatians that was so instrumental in bringing Luther... Himself not only to see the error that the church was making, uh, but also to recognize the gravity of that error, how important it was. Uh, And the reason that he was able to see it so clearly is that in this book of Galatians, Paul is very directly addressing that same error. The teaching that it's faith in Jesus Christ plus something else, anything else that combined together bring salvation. That was wrong in the Apostle Paul's day, and he made it clear. That was wrong in Luther's day, and it's also wrong today. Now, it's it's possible that you may think, well, I'm not or we're not susceptible to that. There are others out there who may be, but we're not susceptible to that. Maybe you might say, I know the gospel too well. Or you might say, well, I've never really had any tendency towards that. That's where I've got to say, I've got to step in and say, you know, I really do believe that this might be the most prevalent error in our day. Uh, And yes, I'm talking about not just out there, I'm talking about here within the church, within those who truly profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are not immune. The temptation can be so strong to say that, yes, Christ did it all, yet in a hidden way, deep down inside, we're thinking, yes, He did it all, but I do have to do this and this. And then, then... I'm received, I'm accepted, I can rest. Uh, what I'm looking for this letter to do for us as we go through and as we see how how Paul attacks this in various ways and attack it is exactly what he does but I'm looking for it to reveal in us where and how we might be relying upon something else something else in addition to our faith in Christ. Now the question has got to be addressed, what's at stake here? Well, Paul said that what's at stake is nothing less than the gospel itself and all that proceeds from it. Luther said the same and we'll have to say the same as we go through this book. Uh, What we're going to do this morning is to uh, simply look through the, the opening verses of this letter, where Paul answers the common questions that you might find in any introduction letter, even that we might write today. If we're writing it to a number of people, what are we going to say? Uh, we're going to say who it's from, we're going to say who it's going to, and we're going to give some kind of general summary about uh, about the, the, the subject or the topic. You now, that's, that's what Paul gives uh, in his intro here, who wrote it, who it's to, what it's about, but you'll notice also that there's a whole lot more than just that in this intro. He prepares us for this letter and for the, 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 the issue that it's addressing. So again, Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read just the first five verses, verses 1 to 5. This is God's Word. Paul, an apostle... of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You this morning that You know us. You know us well. You know our hearts. You know our needs better than we know our own needs. And so, Lord, we call upon you this morning to open up our hearts, to help us to look inside and and to see, both individually and as a as a church, to look inside and to see where do we stand in this relationship with you? And where are our struggles? What is it that so often might stand in the way? And for those who know that they don't have a relationship with you. Father, I pray uh, that you would open up hearts and minds to see Christ and to see the need and to see Christ crucified and provided uh, for those who have a great need. And I pray that you would bring your message home. We pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts to see your truth. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when I was, a, I was a pretty young kid, I don't, I don't remember the specific time, uh, but I, I do remember I went to Six Flags over Georgia uh, with, just outside of Atlanta with my family. And it must have been early in my life because I don't remember a whole lot of detail about it, but there are a couple of, couple of instances that I do remember. I remember walking along with my family And as is often the case in amusement parks like that, we were walking along probably between uh, roller coaster rides, uh, walking along a path along with a mass of other people, and I don't know what I was doing. I may have been focused on the things that were around me. I may have had food in front of my face and may have been focused upon that. But I do know that as I walked along, I just sort of assumed that I was there with my family, that that the man that was next to me was my dad and continued to be my dad until finally, after some period of time, I know I looked up and I realized, that's not my dad. And then I began to look a little further and, and I realized, this is not my family that I'm with. I'm with another family. And then it slowly dawned on me as I began to look further and further afield uh, that my family was nowhere to be seen. I must have somehow gone with this family and and taken a completely different direction than my family. And I remember, I do remember this. I remember the feeling when I finally realized I'm lost and I don't know what to do. Now, what had allowed that to happen? You know, if, if there had been someone early on in that whole process that was shouting into my ear, Wake up! What are you doing? You're leaving your family. You're going off somewhere else. If I had just heard that voice. Of course. You know, I would have turned. I would have seen my family. I would have, would have run over there to safety and to security. But that didn't happen. And at least in my mind, at that point, it was too late and there seemed to, to be no way back. You know, when you're, when you're that age, when you're a kid, that's a terrible place in which to be lost uh, and have that, that great sense that I don't know what to do. Now, I wanted to, to start with that story this morning because I think it illustrates the message that's at the heart of this, this book or this letter that Paul writes to the Galatian churches. And I also think it helps us to see why, as we walk through it, why we can see that Paul is so urgent with his message. You know, like me, when I was sort of, in a way, transferred from my family belonging to this other family, still thinking that I was safe and I was secure, Paul is writing this letter because there are people in these churches in Galatia, who don't recognize that although they started off, as Paul will say, hearing the gospel, trusting in Christ, experiencing safety and security, at least it seemed that they did, and freedom from enslavement to sin, that they are now in the process of transferring their family belonging to something entirely different. And what Paul is saying throughout this letter is, wake up. This is urgent. And it's especially urgent because you don't realize it. And you don't recognize the ramifications because you're going in the wrong direction. You know, Paul is going to set the whole tone for this, this letter, not in the part that we're looking at this morning, but actually next week right there at the beginning verse 6 where we'll begin in his words there when he says i am astonished at what you are doing you know later in in chapter 3 it comes comes across again he says oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you you know are you really so foolish all of this because they had been hoodwinked into Not trusting in Christ and Him alone for their salvation. But looking to something else, looking to another work of man, adding in something to what Christ has done. And the reason that Paul is so insistent and so strident in this letter, more so, I I think, than in anything else that he writes as as an entire letter, is because the consequences of continuing in and on this path are so uh, severe, total and complete loss. And here, here's the way that Paul introduces this letter in the first, first five verses that we just read. Uh, he's saying, I want you to think back. Think back to how this all began. When I came to you and I preached the gospel. I gave you the true gospel from the very beginning, and I want to remind you about that so that you have that in your minds and your hearts, and so that you see that that's the true thing. That's that's reality. That's the real gospel. So here in the intro, we get just a summary of that. Now we'll get a lot more meat in many different angles and ways as we go through the rest of this letter. Uh, but what we need as part of this is this summary view it's kind of the 10,000 foot view looking down what is the true gospel and how can we know and so Paul gives this just in the common questions that we read here now who's it from who is it to what's it about and so I'm going to use those kind of as as headers to walk walk us through this and through what what Paul in particular is doing in this intro He's doing that which these people needed uh, to set the stage for his letter. He's doing that which we need as well. So first of all, who, who is the letter from? You know, what, what Paul's audience needed to be able to do, and that, that includes us, by the way, we need to be able to recognize the authority that we are following and to make certain that, that, that it's the right authority. Now, of course, we do that in all areas of our lives, don't we? We've got to make sure I'm following the right authority, but it's especially important here as we come to God's Word and, and we hear these instructions to us. Yet, I would say that it's very tempting for us to, to kind of not pay attention to this step, not really think it through, and, and to listen to what we think sounds good. But Paul is saying here, That's the way of great danger, and that's why in this letter he spends so much time, really most of the first two chapters, laying out his authority and making it absolutely clear that it's recognized that it's to be found in God, not in man. Now, you might just read uh, in this introduction, you might just read the first couple of verses, you might just think, well, Paul's well, just given kind of the standard introduction. He's, he's given, first couple of words, he's given his, his name in his office. You know, Paul, an apostle. Uh, this is who I am, this is what I do. But when you get further in the letter, you realize that what he's doing here is he's laying a basis. And it's, it, it's, there's far more here than just that, than just a, a, a greeting, than just information Uh, This is a people who have turned, or are turning, it appears, from the gospel message that's been proclaimed to them. And turning to something else. Something else that is powerless. Uh, Something else that can't save. But they're also turning to something else that is from man. It's not from God. And so, Paul's got a difficult task here. Now, he's got the task of distinguishing for them between what's true and what's untrue. Between what's genuine and what's fake. What's permanent and what's temporary. What's momentary. And so he identifies the source of each message and he says here, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead notice that that last phrase just thrown in there who raised him from the dead what's he pointing back to the resurrection right why would he point to the resurrection power there's power unlike any other power in that message the resurrection and so he's using that to say This is where the message that I brought to you comes from. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, when I speak, I, Paul, when I speak as an apostle, it's not man's message, but it's God's message. You know, Paul was an apostle. There there are certain characteristics that we see in Scripture that set the apostles' a part that Mark, Paul here, as an apostle, he was, he was the last of the apostles. He came last of all, after all the others. Yet he was one who, like the others, spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he is, and we see this out of Scripture, he is one of the men that was authorized by Christ Himself to speak authoritatively for Him. Now, that's not a common thing. And I, I'll tell you, if you... If you come across someone today who says, "I'm an apostle," or a church who says, "This person, living person, is an apostle." and your response needs to be to turn and run the other direction. because what we have in Scripture is that this was an office for these men. It was the office of the apostles. they were able to authoritatively, and we have it in Scripture, to speak for Christ. In other words, Paul here, he, he spoke as Christ Himself. This, this is from Him. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. This is God's Word. Uh, this is not my Word. This is not man's Word. This, this is God's Gospel. And that should mean that it has a particular appeal for us it should mean that we're drawn to it now and we want to hear from it we want to analyze it we want to understand it kind of take it apart you remember book of uh book of acts who am i thinking about who did this and was commended because of it remember the bereans uh they were told that they they took scripture as god's word they and and they made sure when when Paul and the others are speaking, they they bounce what they were saying against Scripture. Of course, what they had mainly was the Old Testament. But they bounced it against Scripture to make sure that this cohered. That's that's what we we are called to do. And anything that comes from any other source, we can't take it in the same way. So notice what Paul is doing here. If the people in these churches are... Christian, if they're believers, if they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then as a consequence, this argument that Paul is making is going to carry tremendous weight. Uh, you know, they'd be telling themselves inside, I know my own heart. I know my sinfulness. I know the sinfulness of, of man. I know what man is like. And therefore, I know that I can't ultimately listen to man's voice. I must have God's voice. I can't entrust myself to man. You know, I can, I can listen to things that people say. I can even get advice or counsel that's valuable from other people, and I am to do that, but I can't finally entrust myself to them. No, what I want, what I must have is God's message, His Word, His Gospel. Now, someone might say, well, how do we know here that Paul is telling the truth about this? Sort of the the chicken and the egg problem. Uh, What what comes first? Well, first remember what I said, that uh, as an apostle, Paul is speaking for Jesus Christ. He's speaking for the Good Shepherd. in, uh, In John chapter 10, one of the clearest places we, we see this. Jesus says this. This is John chapter 10, verse 4. When He has brought out all of His own. He's talking about the Good Shepherd here. Ultimately, He's talking about Himself. When He has brought out all His own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. That's very valuable. If you are one of His, you are able to hear His voice. Now, you may be drawn astray by other voices at times, but the great comfort is there that when you hear His voice, you'll respond and you'll follow. Just imagine if when I got lost in that that park at Six Flags, if I had heard my dad's voice calling out to me, I knew his voice. What would I have done? I would have come running. I would have gathered together with Him because I knew His voice. You know, that's what Paul is counting on here. He's counting that His admonition will get through because they will hear His voice. Not Paul's voice, but Jesus' voice. And they will take heed and follow. And that's what should be true for us as well and will be true if we're in that place of... Knowing the Lord, having heard the gospel, having responded, rested by faith in Christ, and yet we're susceptible to going astray, but we can still hear His voice that draws us back, that calls us back. You know, this isn't just something that's helpful to us, this is something that's critical because it's answering that question Am I standing upon the true gospel? Or have I started to follow and rely upon something else? You can ask yourself, do I hear the shepherd's voice? So first, who's the letter from? Second, who's the letter to? Now, this seems to be pretty straightforward. uh, Because right at the end of verse verse 2, Paul says, To the churches of Galatia. So we know, therefore, that Paul is writing this letter to those who are professing believers uh, in certain churches, in a certain region that's called Galatia. It's part of what is Turkey today. Uh, I'll say a few words uh, more about that in a moment. But we also need to see, out of the bigger context of this letter, uh, the main thing, I think, that characterizes this people, those who he's writing to, the churches of Galatia. And it's the very thing that has Paul so upset here. And that is this. That although they had heard and received when he preached it, the gospel of grace, they had received it by faith, at least seemingly. Now they're struggling with going back. They're beginning, it seems, to go back to where they were before. This is one of the things that can make the Christian life such a challenge. I think not only for new believers, but also for more mature believers, uh, that we can be drawn back. Uh, We had lived much of our lives, came to faith, yet at some point, each of us different places in our lives... Uh, yet w- we had been so ingrained in thinking in a certain way and in relying upon something in particular it can be so easy for us to begin to fall back to go back to those things and and, and i'll just mention here before we get into it that sounds like a hopeless situation it's not uh, it's not at all. There's there's great hope and joy in this letter as we go through it. Yet it's very serious at the same time. Uh, you know, on on Paul's first missionary journey, around Acts uh, chapter thirteen and fourteen, there were a number of churches in the southern portion of Galatia that he he went through these areas first, and he preached the gospel, and there were people who responded. By faith, and he began to plant these uh, churches. You you may know some of the names: Iconium, Lydia, Pisidia, uh, a couple of others. These are in in that region, southern Galatia. This is he doesn't mention them by name here, but this is almost certainly uh, the the churches that he is speaking about and speaking to here. Um, And and they had if if you got that timeline, I if you look through that. Timeline that uh, Pat, that uh, Steve passed out to some, uh, it shows that from that time that they heard the gospel and they responded and and Paul planted these churches until Paul writes this letter. Some time passed by. Uh, it was it was about a year, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, uh, something ar- ar- around in there. But the point is that time had passed by and certain teachers certain Jews, we see elsewhere, they're called Judaizers, they began teaching what seemed to be a slight modification of the gospel message that Paul had taught. And they said, yes, you're you're accepted by God by trusting in Christ because of what He's done. But there's something else that you need to do. You need to become like a Jew. Just, you must get circumcised. You've you got to do a couple of other things related to that, and you'll be good. The problem was that this appealed to the people, and they began to think, you know what? That, that sounds right. You know, we need to do things in this life to earn that which is, is valuable. And so, in order to for me to be pleasing to God? And I need to do these things. That's who this letter is written to. It's written to a people who seemed to want to go back. You know, there's one, uh, there's one commentator that said something I found very helpful, Philip Reichen. He put it this way. He said, this letter is written to recovering Pharisees. Think about a recovering alcoholic. You know, I, I actually think this is very helpful Think think about what a a Pharisee is in in the sense that we use that term. A Pharisee is a hypocrite because he believes that what God will do for him depends upon what he does for God. If he goes to church, if he tithes of his money, if he serves in certain uh, capacities, maybe for certain charities, uh, he does this on and on then he's going to feel good about himself. Now, not to say that each of these things that I just mentioned are wrong in and of themselves. Of course they're not. We need these things. But the question is the underlying motive. Why is a person doing them? Are they doing them out of a, out of a love for Christ? Out of a knowledge of Christ? Out of obedience to Him? A desire to live joyfully in His kingdom, or are they doing doing them out of a desire for self-righteousness? To, to build oneself up uh, so that they themselves begin to feel better about themselves. Because I've done this and this and this and, and earned my place. And so the more that's done, that's a Pharisee, the more that's done, the better he or she feels. But there's another side to it as well. There can also be a tremendous weight there. Because in truth, you can never do enough. How can you please the Almighty God, especially when you come to see and to know His law? And if you really begin to see your failures... And begin to to recognize your unworthiness. And you know your shame and you know your guilt. Then you begin to experience a weight of guilt that can crush a person. That's the other side of Pharisaism. The ugly side. Now maybe you've known that feeling. One feeling or the other or both. Maybe you've known that crushing weight, that sense of unworthiness. Well, it appears that the Galatians had... But then Paul came to town, and they heard the gospel of grace. And they heard that it's impossible for me to do enough to earn my place with God so that I'll be fully accepted and and loved by God. Uh, They heard that that's already been done for me by Jesus Christ. He's done it all. And by trusting in Him and believing in Him, I will be fully accepted. I will be loved. I will be brought in. And my, my, my problem, my sins will be taken care of, will be atoned for. And I will have a new life. You know, this was a people who had that weight lifted off of them, the weight of shame and guilt, enslavement to sin that comes from Phariseeism. All of it lifted off. And it was a people who had experienced, it seems, true freedom. But here they are. This danger is there. The danger of going back. They're recovering Pharisees. They've known the sweetness of freedom, and yet now they're in danger of relinquishing that freedom, of listening to the false teachers and and relying upon, yes, faith, but also something else, works of the flesh. And that's the problem with former Pharisees, and it can be with us as well. That it's hard to leave legalism behind. And there's the danger that it can creep back in. You know, sure, we can we can think outwardly. God loves me, uh, and and I belong to Him. Yet inwardly and secretly, we can begin to think, yes but I've got to do this and and, and I do need to do that and when I've done this and when I do that I feel better about myself. It's kind of like putting ourselves on a a performance based plan with the Lord. You know there was a time when I for a year and a half I was in in sales Uh, and I remember what it's like to need to make quota Uh, and in, when you're in sales, and, and I remember this, there were some who uh, were able to accomplish great sales, and, and I did come to find out that often you're only as good as your last big sell, uh, but there were some who seemed to be able to, to churn them out and to therefore be in a good place on a regular basis. Then there were the rest of us. Uh, sometimes, perhaps, we felt accomplished. We had, we had done what we needed to, maybe even above, and we felt good but other times we just felt beaten down and that's how it is with performance-based christianity and it denies the true gospel paul's point in this letter is to tell us that's no way to have a relationship with the lord don't go there or don't go back there that's why we need this letter from paul it's a warning uh you could call it a clarion call to make sure that we're not drifting into some other gospel. But at the same time, I will say there's tremendous encouragement here. Tremendous encouragement in this letter. You know, what is it? Well, I'm going to answer that question. How do we make sure that we retain that freedom that comes with the true gospel? And the answer is to be found in Paul's central message in the letter. So in addition to asking who's it from, who's it to, you've got to ask "What? what is it about? And you may have noticed when I read those words earlier that Paul just can't hold off on sharing what it's about until the body of the letter, he puts it in the heart of his introduction here. And so in just a few words, he gives us a couple of things. And this is the gospel. He gives us the condition of the world, and the condition of man in sin, the utter lostness that we all face. And then He also gives us the facts about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago to pave the way for salvation. I look again at, at, uh, at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So Christ gave Himself, why? To deliver us from the present evil age. Is that how you describe the world in which we live? The condition of the times in which we live? The present evil age? Well, that is how the Bible describes it. We're bound up in it. Because not only is it out there, but it's also right here, it includes us, it includes our hearts, and especially that's what the Bible's dealing with Now, the world doesn't want to acknowledge this, but the true gospel always acknowledges this that this is the condition. Maybe you remember that passage we often read it uh, during Christmas time, Isaiah chapter nine, where it says, "For to us, a child is born to us." Uh, a a, uh, a sun is given, and on and on. Well, the way that begins, that chapter begins, is this way. Of course, that's poignant to Christ. But here's how it begins The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You know, the light shines. That's the gospel, right? That's the good news. But it shines out of the darkness. And that must be recognized. That is the present evil age in which we live. Now, why is that so important? Why does Paul choose to emphasize that here? Because that's the beginning point. We need to know our inability. We need to know that we're not able. We can have self-righteousness inside we can do all these works to try to please God, to try to please others, but we are not able to truly please God. And if we continue on that path, we will continue to be a part of that darkness. That's, this, is, this is given here so that we'll, we'll recognize that all of our own works are, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You know, when we hear the Gospel, we've got, to, we've got to hear and know, there is nothing that I can do. There is nothing that I can contribute to my salvation. Nothing. And if we try to contribute, then what are we doing? We're relying upon something other than Christ and Christ alone. God's grace is a free gift. And it's got to remain free When we contribute our own works, our own achievements, our gifts, our abilities, and that's what we're relying upon, the weight remains upon us. And so what does Paul say here? He says, turn back from that. Turn back from your own works. Rely upon Christ's work and His work alone. Trust in this. What does he say? He says, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us. Who gave Himself for our sins. This is the heart of what Paul wants to communicate. You and I need to hear this is the Gospel. That Christ has given Himself for you and for me. Why? Because of our sins that must be taken care of. This is the good news. This is that which we never could have done ourselves. This is that which we desperately need. He took our sin. The very thing that condemns us and He nailed it to the tree. And what did He say? You're free now. You're free to walk together with Me. You're free to know Me. You know, as we go through the book of Galatians, like we do with any book, we want to look for those theme verses that kind of capture the heart of the the whole book. I'm going to give a couple of them here. Uh, one of those, and you can you can mark this down, uh, you can mark it to, to memorize if you don't have it memorized, Galatians 2.20. It's this. You know, it's repeating what Paul has already said, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've given up of my own self. I've given up of my own works, my own achievements. I've given up of it all. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. You know, that's at the heart of this gospel. To give up That which we had relied upon and uh, had made our identity upon, and to take on Christ and to take on Him alone. Now, what's the result of that? This is another key verse. What's the result of doing that? What happens to the weight? What happens to the shame? What happens to the guilt? What happens to the enslavement to sin? that continued on and on and on in our lives. Well, that's another theme that Paul has. If you want to look a little bit further, look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is another theme verse that I'd I'd recommend marking down, maybe memorizing. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, there's, there's a beautiful message in those words. That as we come to know Christ initially, there is freedom. The danger that Paul's pointing out in this letter is that we can, as recovering Pharisees, we can fall back into those ways again. But he says, no, the Gospel is not for one time. The Gospel goes on and on and on. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. Find your entire worth in Christ. Follow Him. Walk in His ways. And you will have freedom. Tr- true freedom. For freedom Christ has set us free. What good news. And so as we go through this letter of Galatians, you know, Paul is he's giving us a, a message that we need. Perhaps many of us here as recovering Pharisees. We need to hear... Don't go back. The Gospel continues. Trust in Christ. And you will experience true freedom. You will experience the purpose that God has set forth for you. The true Gospel is for all time. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for the beauty of that message that You give to us out of this book Father, we thank You that You don't leave us to continue in our own ways. We thank You that that once we have truly professed faith in Christ and it's it's genuine, it's from the heart, that we will not remain in those ways any longer. We may fall back for a time, it seems, here that these people have. But thank You, Lord, that by looking to You and trusting in You, uh, we will... Experience Christ in this life. Experience all the benefits of the gospel in this life. Be used of you in this life. And at the the same time, have that great hope set before us. Uh, The hope of glory. We thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the ways that you work in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.